We continue our series in 1 Peter. So if you will turn your Bible or the scripture will also be on the screen, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven things into which angels long to look. In the 1960 film Pollyanna, the lead character's full name is Pollyanna Whittier. And when her parents die, she moves in with her wealthy but somewhat unpleasant Aunt Polly. And it's during this time that Pollyanna develops this game called the Glad Game. And it's the game where Pollyanna, in whatever circumstance she finds herself in, finds something to be glad about. The game started at Christmas, when instead of receiving a doll, she received crutches. And yet, she found something to be glad about. She was glad that though she had the crutches, she didn't have to use them. She played this game to cope and to survive while living with her aunt. So when she gets locked up and confined to the attic of the house, she's glad because at least she has a good view of the neighborhood out of the window. And then when she gets punished for being late and is only given for dinner bread and milk, she, she's glad that at least she has something. Well, her philosophy of life is really challenged when she gets hit by a car and she loses the use of both of her legs. But true to form, She's glad that while at least she has her legs, even though she can't use them. The glad game. Is that how we are to view life? Adversity? Heartache? Does God ask us to play some version of the glad game? To cope in a broken in fallen world, we can certainly commend Pollyanna's not complaining, but the glad game is a far cry from true biblical hope because the glad game ultimately is a manufactured hope. And manufactured hope 
at the end of the day is a dead hope. So what is living hope? Well, that's what Peter describes in this passage. First, living hope is a hope established by God. Look at verse 3. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The living hope that we are birthed into is established by God. And it's established according to his mercy and grace, not to our good works. And it's a hope that is anchored in the past. It's a hope that is anchored and established in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's not a hope that comes from you. It's not a hope that comes from your present circumstances. It's not a hope that comes from your future circumstances. It is a hope that comes from a dead man who walked out of the grave 2,000 years ago and who is alive today. It's established through the resurrection of Christ. Now, remember who's writing this letter, right? It's Peter. Now, Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. He was one of Jesus' inner three disciples. And yet we learn that as, as Peter followed Jesus to his arrest and to his trial and to his crucifixion, he denies knowing Jesus three times. Can you imagine what Peter was feeling when Jesus hung on the cross and died? His hope was dead. All he had was the bitter sorrow from his denials. Can you imagine the shame, the guilt, the sorrow that Peter was feeling? His hope was dead and he couldn't resuscitate it. He couldn't restore it. But what did restore it? When Jesus walked out of the grave and appeared to Peter. The living Christ, the one who Peter saw crucified, the one that was put in a grave, was now standing before him. And Peter's hope came to life. Hope is anchored in the past because Jesus rose, but hope is alive in the present because Jesus is living. Jesus is alive. And by God's mercy, because Jesus is alive, we are alive. I want you to imagine that you're in the middle of a desert. It's dry, it's arid, there's no water. It's, a, it's conditions that ultimately cannot support life, certainly conditions that don't uh, cause human flourishing. And yet you're in the middle of this desert and you see this little water spigot. And you turn it on and lo and behold, water comes out. And what you learn is that this water is piped in from several hundred miles away from a lush lake with lush green vegetation where life is teeming and flourishing, unlimited supply of water. And so united to this supply of water, to this place of flourishing, you begin to flourish in the middle of the desert. As the water flows, this little oasis starts to develop around you and people are drawn to it. 
united to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you flourish. You find life in the middle of a dry and weary land, in the middle of a broken and fallen world that we are feeling right now, you find life in the risen Christ. Life flourishes. Hope cannot be manufactured. It can't be made. Hope is received. Hope is established by God through the resurrection of Christ, and it's given to us in the life of Christ right now as he is risen and alive. Hope is established by God through a dead man, his one and only son who came out of a grave who is alive today. So what is living hope? First, it's established by God through the resurrection of Christ. But second, a hope, living hope, is a hope protected, protected by God. Look at verse four, verses four and five. Born again, in verse three, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says you're born again into an inheritance. Now, inheritance was a big deal in the history of Israel. It was a big deal in the first century. Wealth and inheritance was tied to land. So when we think about Peter's hearers here, the ones that were reading this letter originally, Some of them may have been Jewish Christians who thought immediately of their ancestors, of the Israelites in the land of Israel that was ravished and defiled by all these nations that would attack like the Assyrians and the Babylonians. Or maybe some of these believers in the first century were the ones that had gotten deported from Rome and were sent away out of their homes into these colonies and therefore had maybe forfeited their inheritance, because they had been deported. Even if if these hearers weren't physically displaced, you have people whose social status had been affected by their new faith in Christ. That some of them may have been disowned by their families, therefore jeopardizing their inheritance. So Peter is speaking to believers who are facing a loss of inheritance, a big loss. But he says to him, but let me tell you about an inheritance that's better that you have. Now, what's the inheritance? Look at verse five again. For a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. The inheritance is ultimately salvation. That word salvation is a big word. It's a big word that describes deliverance and freedom from all that sin has made wrong. It's freedom from a broken body, a diseased body. It's freedom from a broken heart. It's freedom from a broken world, hostile to God. It's freedom from disrupted fellowship with Christ. That the inheritance is salvation, and it's imperishable, meaning it's free from death and decay, untouched by death, that this salvation is 
undefiled, meaning free from uncleanness and, and moral impurity, that it's, it's, it's free from the stain of sin and evil, that this salvation's unfading, meaning that, it, that it's free from damage over time. It's unimpaired by time. And not only that, but Peter says that this salvation is kept in heaven for you. That means that this is a finished salvation, kept in heaven. This isn't a salvation that's waiting for you to put the final touches on or to polish up a little bit. No, this is a salvation that was accomplished by Jesus Christ when he died and rose from the dead. Jesus didn't just make salvation possible for you. He actually accomplished it. He finished it. It's waiting. It's kept in heaven for you. Before you trust in Jesus Christ, you're not aware of this salvation. But what God does is through his Holy Spirit, he reveals this salvation to you that you receive but when you receive it, you realize it's finished. It's accomplished. It's kept in heaven for you. Not only is this salvation, this inheritance kept in heaven for you, but we read that you are guarded for it. That you're guarded for it. Look at verse five. Again, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now that word guarded, great way to understand that word is to think of protective custody or think of a witness protection program. So now what, what is a witness protection program? Well, that's designed for a witness, someone who witnesses a crime, but maybe is afraid to testify because the perpetrators have threatened physical violence or, or threaten to hurt that person if they speak. So protection, protective custody is the law enforcement can come in and, and actually protect that witness so that they can testify. When you become a testifying witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you enter into God's protective custody. Because as soon as you become a testifying witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can be sure that trials will come your way. And those trials can be so severe at times that they may intimidate you to be silent. Maybe so severe that they intimidate you to back off, to deny Christ, maybe to fall away. This is what Jesus speaks about his parable of the, of the sower in Matthew 13, 20. When he speaks of the second soil, he says this, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution, when trial arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. You testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and maybe your family disowns you or threatens to disown you. Your friends abandon you. You're no longer on the 
fast-track promotion ladder at work because you're no longer willing to give up everything for a career. Or you, you give up a lavish lifestyle or you just give up some comforts in your lifestyle because you begin generously giving to the kingdom. Right? These trials that come because you've testified to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, these trials threaten to intimidate you into silence or denial or just, just backing off or fading away. And what we learn in this first chapter of 1 Peter is that Peter is speaking of those in the fourth soil in Jesus' parable of the sower. That's the soil that produces fruit, that perseveres. That when you testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that you enter into God's protective custody and that he will not allow trials to undo you ultimately. That he will not allow trials to drive you away from Christ. That he will protect you. That he will guard you for this salvation that he has accomplished and secured for you that is kept in heaven for you. What is a living hope? It's a hope established by God. It's a hope protected by God. And finally, it's a hope strengthened by God. Look at verses six and seven. In this you rejoice, Though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. If the protective custody of God is the defensive posture of God, towards your trials, to protect you from them intimidating you, then verses six and seven are the offensive strategy of God towards your trials. And that is rather than intimidating you towards denial or falling away, the trials are actually used to strengthen you. Now how? Well, notice the role that faith plays in what Peter's talking about here. Notice the role that faith plays. Look at verse five. It says, who are being guarded, that's the protective custody of God, through faith. And then if you look at verse nine, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Faith is the instrument that connects you to Christ connects you to God, connects you to this inheritance, this salvation that's kept in heaven for you. Faith is the, the instrument that connects you. And the language that, that Peter uses here to describe how trials strengthen faith and therefore strengthen your hope is he uses the imagery of gold and fire. Right? Fire can't destroy gold. In fact, fire just destroys the combustible impurities in gold. What's left is something more pure. And that's how trials work. Trials work to strengthen and maintain the instrument that connects you to Christ. Remember a week back, several weeks back, the, the SpaceX launch. 
when finally SpaceX launched two of our astronauts into space, right, to the International Space Station. And we hadn't sent astronauts into space for, since 2011 when the shuttle program ended. It was a big deal. But all these years leading up to it, those rockets were developed. They were tested. They were maintained. They were serviced, right? Because that was the instrument that was going to connect these astronauts to space, specifically the space station. And if that's going to continue to happen, then, the, then that rocket is going to be maintained. It's going to be serviced. In the same way, the instrument of faith is maintained and serviced by God so that it continues to connect you to Christ. Now, how does God maintain it? Through trial. That's what he uses. That's the tool that God uses to maintain and to strengthen the instrument of faith so that you remain connected to Christ. The very thing that threatens to undo your faith is the very thing that God uses to strengthen your faith and therefore your hope. The Museum of the Desert in the Savin Mountains of southern France commemorate the, the sufferings of the Huguenot martyrs. When uh, King Louis in, 19, or in 1685 revoked the Edict of Nantes, that made public Protestant worship services a crime. And so men that were caught in these secret worship services in the fields were hauled off to the galleys. And in the galleys, they were chained to the galleys and they were to row nonstop until they would eventually die. And it's in this museum that there is a replica of one of those galley oars and it's above a model of one of the galleys and just to the side of it, are the words of one of those Christian galley slaves, one of those that got caught worshiping Christ at a service that was a crime and was brought to the galleys and chained to it. Listen to what this galley slave said. My chains are the chains of Christ's love. Though you have not seen him, verses eight and nine, you love him. You love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Why does Peter come out of the gate in this letter talking about a living hope. I mean, why does he come right out of the gates talking about a living hope? Because he is writing to believers who are experiencing life-shaking economic and social upheaval. Now, does that sound familiar? Life-shaking 
economic and social upheaval. If that doesn't describe the day that we're in in this country, then I don't know what does. We've had the one-two punch of the pandemic followed by this racial tension which has left us for a prolonged period and it will be a longer period in the furnace of affliction and trial. And it's oftentimes in the furnace when things heat up that we begin to get skewed vision. That we begin to see the trials and see life and see the brokenness and see our world through the wrong lens. And so we may be seeing life through the comparison lens that leaves us wishing we had somebody else's life. Or we're seeing through the political lens that either leaves us deeply angry or deeply depressed. or we're seeing through the prosperity lens that has us wondering what we've done wrong to earn something like this. In the midst of such devastating loss and such devastating trial, Peter gives these believers in the first century and us today a new lens to look through. And we see it in verses 10 to 12 when he basically says to them and says to us, when he says, you are more privileged in this point, in this place of redemptive history than you could ever imagine. The prophets were pointing towards the grace that would be yours in Jesus Christ and yet they never saw it fulfilled. The angels long to look into your situation. That's how astonishing this living hope is. This hope that's established by God through Jesus' resurrection. This hope that's protected by God, that you're in his protective custody. And this hope that is strengthened by God, by the trials that are vying to undo you, God's using them to strengthen your faith and strengthen your hope. And this living hope is yours in Jesus Christ. It's yours to have through faith in Jesus Christ. Don't play the Pollyanna glad game. Ultimately, it's a a game of trying to manufacture hope No, look to Jesus. Look to Jesus and be filled with a joy that is inexpressible. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are in such desperate need of hope these days. Everywhere we look, there is trial and affliction and tension, and loss. Would you please remind us 
of the living hope that we have. A hope that can't be touched by death. A hope that can't be touched by sin or evil. A hope that can't be touched by time. A hope that is secure. A hope that's rooted in the salvation that you've given us in Jesus through his death and resurrection, kept in heaven for us, and that you are guarding us for that moment when Jesus returns, that we're in your protective custody. Oh, Father, would you comfort us and assure us with that? And Father, if there are those that have never looked to Jesus in faith, would you by your Holy Spirit draw them to Jesus now? That if they find themselves in a hopeless place, that they would see this living hope and that they would grab hold of it in your son, Jesus. Father, as we close in worship and sing, would you fill our hearts with that joy that's oftentimes inexpressible, but would we do what we can to express it through song? We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. We invite you now to give. Uh, below the video, you'll see uh, links to our website where you can give online. You can also mail in a check. The address is on the website. Let's continue to worship. Now, at least it was during the prayer and not the... That's the grace of God right there. What do you need me to do? You gotta be off then. That's all right. I saw your hand up. I'm like, I'm not sure what that's for. So just hold on. So I, I've, finish my sermon, and then I, I said, would you pray with me? So I just need to do, would you pray with me? Okay. Would you pray with me? Father, we are desperately in need of hope these days. Everywhere we turn, we see tension, we see trial, we see affliction, we see darkness, we see loss. Father, would you fill us with your living hope, with the hope that comes from your son, Jesus Christ. Hope that we don't manufacture, a hope that we receive. Father, for those that are in a place of hopelessness, would you remind them of what they have in Christ, and would you fill them with that inexpressible joy? Father, for those that maybe have never looked to Jesus in faith, would your Holy Spirit draw them to Christ? Would they grab hold of that living hope by placing their faith in Jesus? Father, as we continue to worship, would you fill us with joy and would you help us to express that joy through singing? We pray this all in Christ's name.
Amen.